welcome back to the Court of Alets. This episode is dedicated to all the lovers out there. It's Valentine's Day, and I love myself. I'm V, and I'm joined today by Joe. Buenas noches. <laughs> I can't look at him with a straight face. When <laughs> all right. Uh, Just gonna go come in hot with that. <laughs> and Muse. Hello. As previously mentioned, this is a Valentine's Day episode, so we're gonna be talking about not necessarily our primo OTPs, but we're definitely gonna be talking about couples. I think we'll have Joe go first this time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey guys, a quick note about this recording. Some of the audio got disrupted. We had to re-record it. Muse was not able to make it for the re-recording session, so she is silent for a small portion of this podcast. Now on to the recording. So my pairing that I decided to go with because I thought it was going to be a fun challenge for all of us to not talk about the ones we usually go on with this podcast. So no Lois and Clark, no Batman Catwoman, (sighs) no Teddy and Billy even though Billy is topical right now because of WandaVision. Yeah. And I just have a really tough time choosing anything after Lois and Clark. (laughs) Just because that's my usual go-to. Everybody else usually gets tied for second place for me. I mean, like, there's Aquaman and Mirror, there's Nightwing and Batgirl, Beast Boy and Raven, Green Arrow, Black Canary. But I went with one that I talk about sometimes because it was easier for me to find examples which was Superboy and Wonder Girl, also known as Connor Kent and Cassie Sandsmark. Of course. What do you mean, of course? I'm surprised you don't say that's your favorite over Lois and Clark. <sighs> I mean, it's pretty up there. It's tied. But listen, I was going to do Aquaman and Mira. I remembered reading a whole bunch of good things about them. I just could not remember for the life of me the comics that I read those good moments in. So I went with this one instead. For those of you who don't know, Superboy or Wonder Girl, I'll start with Cassie first, I guess. So Cassie was introduced in the 90s in the Wonder Woman comics where her mother is, I don't want to say famous, but she's a pretty popular museum like curator for a lot of like ancient like Greco-Roman stuff. I didn't know that there were celebrity museum curators. I mean, like I said, not famous, but like she has worked with a bunch of different museums around the world, helping like curate all of like this Greco-Roman or like Babylonian or all this other stuff. So she's well respected within her field. Yeah, that's the word. Okay. So I don't know when, but I guess she has been in contact with Wonder Woman from time to time because of Amazonian artifacts and stuff or things with the Greek gods, whatever. In comes Cassie. We slowly find out that Cassie is a daughter of Zeus. She had so many pivotal storylines for her going around just this one plot. And then New 52 happens and Jeff Johns is like, I really love this. I'm going to slap that onto Diana. So that's why from New 52 to present day, Diana is the one that is like a full daughter of Zeus. And because Rebirth, they didn't want to have both Cassie and Diana be really bonded like that, sisters-wise. Mm-hmm. Now they made Cassie a granddaughter of Zeus, 
That makes it, like, more convoluted. Yeah, very confusing in that sense. Because now you need her mom. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> now you need to have either her mom as, like, the child of Zeus or her dad the child of Zeus. And who's her mom? I mean, her grandmother. We don't know. Never really saw past her mother in comics. Alright. Anyway, in the 90s, her mother was the one who shacked it up with Zeus, and then came Cassie. But Cassie didn't really develop any of these superpowers or anything. Sorry, we have to go back to her mom. My first thought is, which animal did she fall in love with? Because, <laughs> <And laughs> like, before I was, like, on board, you're like, oh, she's daughter Zeus. I'm like, oh, yeah, she's adopted. Museum curator, found baby, Zeus <laughs> somehow. I don't know how, I'll go with it. You're telling me she had an affair with Zeus. Yes. Diana maybe introduced them. I don't know. I th- this happened before meeting Diana, I want to say. So she pretty much just found, like, an ostrich <laughs> or something. She could have. I didn't read those comics, so I don't know. Yeah, let's move on. I'm thinking of too many things at once. <laughs> so back in the day in, like, early 90s, I want to say it was, like, 91, 92, Cassie was slowly becoming more in Diana's life. Because she didn't have her actual superpowers yet, she was using, like, these godly devices or tools or whatever. So, like, she had a pair of Hermes sandals in order for herself to fly, like Diana. She had, like, her own little bracers and whatnot, similar to Diana's, and slowly became Wonder Girl. But because Cassie is known for having blonde hair, she didn't want to stand out too much when she was helping Diana, so she puts on a brunette wig. And she wore, like, a very 90s outfit of, like, shorts, a leather jacket, giant goggles. I remember the goggles. Yeah. I hated the goggles. (laughs) So that was Cassie. Connor, Superboy, he was created in the 90s as a clone of Superman, mixed with the DNA of Lex Luthor. And the only reason why he's half Kryptonian, half human, is because every time that Lex tried a clone with 100% Kryptonian DNA, he gets something like Bizarro. The DNA was just too unstable for their cloning process. Also, unknowingly, he developed a superpower that Superman doesn't have, which is tactile telekinesis. It also gives him an impenetrable force field around himself, also the gift of flight. He was working alongside Cadmus agent Dublex, which was known as a xenomorph. He's like this alien-looking guy with horns, and he was a telepath. So the two of them were living in Hawaii, because during the Death of Superman event, Superboy, along with Steel, and this other guy called the Eradicator, were all calling themselves Superman, because Superman was presumed dead, and somebody needed to take up that mantle. Superboy got himself a giant following because he was like a teen heartthrob. He needed to make a career for himself after Clark came back to life. So he went to Hawaii, he got his own business agent or whatever, and then he was fighting crime and becoming the hero of Hawaii. Any relation to Elvis? No, but he does really love a lot of classic rock stuff. (laughs) He's definitely pulling off that Elvis persona, though. (laughs) He really is, and especially because he considers himself a ladies' man, which you see a lot in the 90s where he will flirt with anything that has legs. So anyway, the two of them meet by joining Young Justice. They met in the fourth issue because Connor was 
one of the founding members for Young Justice, alongside Tim and Bart. Then Cassie and Arouette, Sissy King-Jones, joined in the fourth issue. Cassie already knew all about Connor. She loved Connor right off the bat. She had posters of him that her mom would get for her from any of like these museum events or whatever. Oh, gosh. Yeah, she was a major fangirl. Well, yeah, and she also had, like, cripplingly low self-esteem. Yeah, but that's also because the beginning couple issues of the whole Young Justice team being together, Connor was always flirting with Arouette and wasn't paying Cassie any attention at all. Yeah, because she had these big dumb goggles, <laughs> and Arrowette liked to show her midriff. With right. when you're a teenager, that's as sexy as it gets. Exactly, and especially since like the first time that he met the both of them, Arrowette was in pain because she had gotten shot with an arrow in her shoulder. And so every issue, he's like, "Oh, do you need me to get an ice pack for your shoulder?" Or like they're riding in like the the super cycle, and he has his arm around her. He's like, "Oh, it's windy out here. Got to protect that shoulder." So he is, like, completely oblivious for the longest time, almost throughout the entire run. They had a couple moments after uh, the Sins of Youth event, mainly because Connor's main love interest at the time, Tana Moon, who was from his regular run, she ended up dying during the Sins of Youth event. Oh, no. Yeah. He is about to kill the people that killed Tana, and Cassie's able to talk him down from it. Connor starts to appreciate Cassie a little bit more, and then you really start to see the two of them working together. Connor's protecting her more, and Cassie even questions that. He's, she's like, you were never acting like this before, and it almost comes out, you're doing this because of Tana. He says it in not so many words because he gets cut off, of course, just because whatever other shenanigans are going on in the series. And then the two of them end up having like their first kiss and confessing how they feel to each other in the last issue of Young Justice. Mm. I've always loved the Young Justice series. I've probably read the whole thing like three or four times in my life. Okay, that explains the encyclopedia knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> so after Young Justice, you have Graduation Day. That was a three-issue event which resulted with the death of Donna Troy. And that resulted in Young Justice disbanding. And then comes... The Teen Titans run from Jeff Johns, which lasted 100 issues plus, I think, like, one annual. None of them were talking to each other after graduation day. So it was a very awkward, like, start-up to the whole team being together again and working together again. Cassie and Connor slowly formed their relationship again. Diana wasn't happy when she found out and caught the two of them kissing on the roof of Titans Tower and literally threw Connor off the tower. What? Yeah. <laughs> Basically told Cassie, like, you should not be hanging out with this boy. <laughs> you guys are giving Batman shit about <laughs> how he handled the Cass Kane situation with Superboy, <laughs> but all he did was be like, no, you can't date her, she's not for you. Like, he didn't chuck him off a building. <laughs> I mean, he's invulnerable, at least. <laughs> Jeez. But... They end up dating anyway. That whole event actually led to a Teen Titans versus Justice League uh, fight, which got stopped by Nightwing. I read an article on Tumblr explaining how uh, Nightwing is oldest daughter coded. You know how everyone's like, oh, you know, this is my eldest daughter. <laughs> <laughs> like, all the responsibility <laughs> falls on them. <laughs> but yeah, the idea was... 
just that Nightwing is the problem solver. He right. has to deal with keeping the parents in line and mm-hmm. the children. <laughs> Which he he's done that in the Young Justice comics as well when they had like a whole like PTA meeting. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, so at the end of that, they continue dating or whatever. You have the Teen Titans annual, which ties into Infinite Crisis, where basically Connor was basically uh, healing himself in this pod type of thing that LexCorp put him in after this giant battle with Superboy Prime. Mm. Connor ends up breaking out of this pod thing. Cassie was there just waiting for him to wake up or something. She's actually slowly losing her powers as well because something was going on with the Pantheon, and she was losing her connection to Zeus, so her powers are fading in and out. The both of them are not really doing the best. They first go to Titan's Tower, and then they make their way over to Smallville, where now it's like the sun's going down, they decide to get together because they think it's going to be like their last night on Earth, and they wake up the next morning to find Jonathan and Martha outside the barn. She went downstairs, outside of his room, wearing nothing but his t-shirt. They were just on the, like, the upper level of the barn. It's just like, in the Smallville show, that's usually, like, a little, like, hangout area uh-huh. that Clark used to have with, like, a couch and stuff. She woke up to that. Connor was flying around outside with that very much, like... I just had sex attitude. He's like, oh, do you feel that sun? It feels amazing. It's like completely shirtless and just in jeans or whatever. Okay. So Cassie wakes up to Connor yelling. Teenagers who do not fear God or the Kens. Yeah. So she goes downstairs looking for Connor and then she ends up seeing Jonathan and Martha and they're like, oh, hello. Oh my God. Connor goes there. He's like, oh, I forgot to tell you. I brought Cassie over here last night. Hope that's okay. And Jonathan and Martha just look at each other. They're like, well, do you like eggs for breakfast? (laughs) And so they all had breakfast together before Connor went off to go join Nightwing to continue the rest of the story arc for Infinite Crisis. For those of you who may not know, during Infinite Crisis, Connor sacrifices himself along with a bunch of other superheroes, which completely devastated everybody in the super family, the Teen Titans, just the hero community itself. Cassie went into a major spiral. Her and Tim had a weird grieving relationship where they thought that like they can find comfort in each other, mm-hmm. which they both knew was wrong and they both said like they regretted it. Cassie also started hanging out a lot more with Kara, a Supergirl, just because she needed to feel close with somebody, and her and Kara have always kind of been friends. But then she starts hanging out with her more often. She invites her to join the Teen Titans because they were really losing a lot of members at the time, and they needed to start doing a new recruitment thing. (laughs) Everyone's dead. Join up. Yeah, and then Kara kind of calls Cassie out and is like, I think you've just been hanging out with me because you need a Kryptonian in your life. That is such a weird accusation to have. I want to say that one's on Kara being a dick. Sometimes she's kind of the worst. Sometimes, but at the same time, she wasn't technically wrong because Cassie didn't reject that. While also hanging out with Kara, Cassie is slowly infiltrating herself into a Kryptonian cult. People that believe Superman and Supergirl and Power Girl are gods among men and 
want to follow the Kryptonian religion. She's literally a demigod. She's infiltrating them because she believes that they have some type of Kryptonian secret that can bring Connor back to life. Because while she's doing that, Tim is trying to find out how to use the Lazarus Pit to bring Connor back to life. Both of them are not handling this well at all. It's not until 2009 when the Final Crisis event comes out. Connor and Bart, because Bart also died during Infinite Crisis, they come back to life. Clark put Connor's body in the same rejuvenating chamber that he had when he died in the 90s. Final Crisis takes place in the 31st century. Connor was absorbing all these solar cells, allowing him to come back to life. Connor was led out of that chamber and helped them, and he just went back to the present. Connor doesn't feel mentally ready to handle all that responsibility again, so he decides he's just going to live his life as Connor Kent for a little bit in Smallville, which is where you have the Adventure Comics run. Which was a beautiful run. I love this one so much. It is written by Jeff Johns. The art is from Francis Manipal. One of my favorite series ever. Which has to do with Connor and Cassie reuniting again. She stops by Smallville. They have like a date under the stars pretty much. On like a picnic table and everything. She opens up to Connor about like all the things that happened when he was gone. And how sorry she feels about like betraying him by doing what she did with Tim, Mm. just hoping that he can forgive her. And he's like, I was dead. I expected you to move on from your life. I totally understand, but I'm here now. I'm back. And I would love to, you know, continue where we left off. And like the final cut is just the two of them kissing on top of the picnic table that's being lifted up by Crypto. Because Crypto slowly becomes Connor's like new best friend during this whole rejuvenating thing. I remember this part. Yeah. One of my favorites. (laughs) So you had the Adventure Comics thing, and then Blackest Night, where Cassie also helps Connor to unlock his last Kryptonian superpower, which is his ice breath. That was the one thing that he just never learned, because throughout Teen Titans, he slowly starts to develop the rest of his Kryptonian abilities without the use of his tactile telekinesis. It was a really convoluted thing. I imagine. And I know this is irrelevant, but I have to ask. How did Bart come back? Um, Speed Force Magic. I figured. Okay, moving on. After Blackest Night, that was pretty much the last event for Connor and Cassie, and then they decided that they were going to break up because Connor broke them up. He's like, I still don't really feel ready to be in a relationship right now. And they ended the series as friends because then New 52 happened. New 52 was disastrous for the Teen Titans, where Cassie was put in the same position as Starfire during the Red Hood and the Outlaws. Really? Her superpowers and origin was also completely different, where she was sleeping with some guy who had, like, this invisible Amazonian armor or whatever, and it got absorbed into her. And then she is trying to decide throughout most of the run that I saw between dating Red Robin or dating this aggressive Superboy. It was really weird. Now you have present day with Rebirth, because they haven't been seen since, and it actually wasn't until 2018 when Brian Michael Bendis brought out his Wonder Comics line, and one of those titles being now the current Young Justice. Mm -hmm. You don't see any relationship interaction with them at all. It's just all about friends being back together and not knowing how they all got back together and trying to figure out how they got back together and never actually learning how they got back together. 
I mean, that's kind of Bendis' trademark. Yeah. Loose strings. Mm -hmm. You don't see anything with the two of them together relationship-wise. It's all just the core four is back together, Connor, Bart, Tim, and Cassie. Do we know where they are right now? As of right now, Connor is with the Kents and the rest of the Superfam, and Cassie is, it's a mystery. We don't know, because all these sidekicks are back, but of course the only ones that matter currently are just Bart and Tim. I saw something today where they released a cover done by Rafa Sandoval for a Teen Titans Academy title that's going to be coming out in March, apparently. One of the new things, I guess, which was followed by the Future State Teen Titans thing that introduced Red X. They released a cover for issue three, and Connor is on the cover. Oh. And he's in his famous black and red t-shirt. So, curious, definitely, because he's also shown in the Infinite Frontier, which is like that whole big event thing that's leading off the first week of March. I would love for them to be back together again. I know one of the major ships for Connor is one of Muse's favorites, which is Tim Khan. Everybody loves seeing Tim Drake and Connor Kent together, but I've always loved the canon stuff. I don't know. I'm I'm very vanilla like that, I guess. No, that's fair. <laughs> I'm the same way. If someone tells me these two people are in love, I'm like, great. Yeah. I don't go looking around and going... Those people say they aren't in love, but what if they are? Yeah. Like, obviously, like, I've seen, like, Connor has great chemistry with a bunch of other people as well. Mm -hmm. And it is fun to see him try to flirt with all these other women. But I don't know. I've always seen Connor and Tim as just, like, that regular brother relationship. That's true. And I hate to undermine good friends by, you know, just claiming that that must mean they're in love. But I also understand Muse's enjoyment of fanfic and the thought exercise of what if, but you know my ship. <laughs> <laughs> I only read four-ish comics of Khan and Sandra Kane, and Cassandra Kane was never given a love interest. Right. And she was with Connor. It was this really cute, stern and silent versus goofy and crazy brains and bronze mm -hmm. that I think... I kind of get what Muse feels with uh, the Tim Khan ship now, but like I saw it on screen as like a different set of chemistry, and I thought that was nice. Apparently, a lot of fans did too. Yeah. Which uh, I guess the Batgirl writers did not want. So <laughs> when it was Khan's turn to show up in a Batgirl title, they squished that flat. Yeah, I do remember that. I think I got you that issue as well. They really shoved it into the ground, like, it's never gonna happen. Yeah. So I was like, okay, fine, jeez. <laughs> Never show me them together again. <laughs> but I don't know. I guess, like, for me, it's more of, like, that emotional attachment because I got to watch them grow up together from Young Justice into Teen Titans where they even see, like, their future selves come back and their future selves are married as Superman and Wonder Woman. They also made an appearance during the Adventures of the Super Sons story arc where you had that weird abomination of Tim Drake called Savior. Do not remember this. The future Connor, Cassie, and Bart came looking for that evil Tim. Oh, right. Yeah, remember now? Yeah. And then John and Clark see him. They're like, do we know you? And he's like, maybe not now you do, but you will. Yeah. Or something like really cryptic like that. But yeah, I don't know. I've always been emotionally attached to them. I loved seeing their relationship grow from just like a one-sided thing to them, you know, still being able to be friends without having those feelings get in the way of their job and then getting to actually 
have that type of relationship together and you know seeing that it doesn't work having that whole traumatic experience getting back together and then ending it off as friends and then new 52 happens and jeff johns takes that idea and then slaps it onto clark and diana for the justice league scale seems like that would be hard to replicate it was and that's also why it was not really well liked when it was flushed out yeah but yeah i mean i i love them together they have a lot of great moments together and i would love to see them back together again okay that's really thorough review (laughs) i think it's gonna be hard to top that all right so muse you had some unorthodox choices this time (laughs) with much less information to go on and you had a really creative solution please regale us um well most of my otps are not canon (laughs) so i was like i don't want to regale you guys with cheesy moments of uh putting the rose tinted uh fujoshi glasses on we don't need that right now (laughs) Because my probably my OTP that's actually canon in comics, as we probably figured out, is Wiccan and Hulkling. We're going to go with the second best thing. We're going with the other twin. Um, <laughs> so It's topical. It is, it is topical because of WandaVision. Uh, Empire just came out and recent stuff in X, uh, X-Factor that um, I'll reveal in a bit. So... My OTP is uh, Speed and uh, Prodigy, so that's going to be Tommy Shepard and David Elaine. Their ship name is Think Fast, and I love it. (laughs) That's ridiculous. (laughs) I'll get to how the name came about, but it's also because (laughs) Think, because Prodigy's a mutant who has, his mutant ability is pretty much being able to read anyone so he can if wolverine's in the room he can read wolverine and he knows all of wolverine's combat techniques and can counter him oh like um taskmaster in a way i don't know because he can't take their abilities but he can like learn what they know so he can learn so like if someone knows how to do open heart surgery he knows now how to do open heart surgery by being around them. It's crazy. Like, he's like a human computer. Like, he goes around absorbing knowledge. Yeah. Uh, it used to be um, that he could only do it while in proximity with people, and there was, like, a mental block on it. Um, but since then, I think that mental block has gone away. We're not really certain. If so, he, he can be really powerful, unless the mental block is still in place. Um, and then, of course the fast part for speed because he's a speedster right so the two of them first met actually in young avengers the 2013 run which was the second run it was issue six i'm just gonna preface this uh this run was kind of weird i'm not gonna get much into it but it's really weird and it starts out with poor david working as a like hero support office like it was like a support hotline because he was one of the mutants that got depowered during m day so he no longer has his mutant abilities but little small backstory he was still able to like interact with the x-men and the mutants for a time because of he was so smart regardless without his mutant abilities he had a very high intellect so they wanted him to teach students and also the, the cuckoos did something 
and they were able to take the collective memories of like certain people that he was around at the time and just embed it into his brain permanently. So he still essentially uh, huh. um, had kind of his mutant ability. That was all he could collect. He couldn't get any new information. Mm-hmm. That was it. He's still technically depowered, and he's trying to do make a living, and the X-Men at this point have kicked him out. So he meets Tommy. Because of his super speed, he can do things, like, a lot quicker. So they're having him putting together stuff, like, really quickly. So he's doing, like, weeks worth of work in five minutes. Mm-hmm. So they cross paths in this office, and he's like, hey, you seem cool. Let's go get noodles. And, like, David's like, what? And he's like, I'm going to drag you out because I'm an extrovert and you're an introvert. So I'm going to be your best friend now. And you're like, okay. So they go and they just start talking about life based off of kind of, like, how the conversation moves on. Tommy's like, I want to go club and you want to come with me? He's like, no. David's like, no, I'm going to go home. He's like, do you want to do coffee in the morning? Sure, we'll, we'll do coffee in the morning. <laughs> so they meet, they hang out, they go have coffee, they go to work. And it seems like someone broke into their office. And they're like, what? They look on the security cameras, and it looks like it's Patriot, which is one of Tommy's old previous friends from uh, Young Avengers Days. That's the the guy who tried to impersonate Captain America, Yeah, he was kind of like the cap Mm -hmm. of the group. So I had no idea about this. Eli apparently had been in a coma for a couple of months. So he's like, it can't be Eli. Eli's out of commission. I don't know who this crazy person is running around in my best, one of my best friend's uniforms. I'm going to stop him. He goes to their boss, and he's like, oh, we'll, t- we'll take care of it. And David's like, we? He's like, yeah, you're going to come on a stakeout with me. And he's like, uh. <laughs> so he drags them along, staking out, trying to figure out who this impersonator is. Speed is in his outfit. So he's in his garish little, like, green Aww. and white outfit. And mm-hmm. Prodigy's not. He's just in, like, a black outfit, just kind of, like, stealthing in. Patriot, quote-unquote, shows up, and Tommy goes and confronts him. But something happens, and Tommy has, like, a mental breakdown. Like, I will say the artist for this did a really good job with these panels because you just see him start to slow down, and his face just, it shatters. And he freaks out and starts to try to, like, run away as Patriot grabs him on the shoulder light shines and he's gone tommy's like gone huh so david afterwards is like what did you do to him where did he go turns out this isn't patriot i still have no idea what this thing is (laughs) it's this weird mental creature thing and it pretty much taunts them saying like what you can't outrun it's like what did you do to him you'll never know want him back and he's like what are you talking about and he, like, tries to take the glove off, and he's, like, handing it to him, and he's, like, accept. And he's, like, no, I'm not going to accept this. You're insane. And he's, like, denial. And then he leaves. I still don't know what this weird patriot thing is. They never explain it at what? all in the run. It shows up again occasionally. I think it has to do with something with the main plot. I think it gets explained in something else. I've talked to one of my friends who's also read this and is also a big Young Avengers fan. She can't even really Mm. remember what the weird not Patriot was, but uh, for the (laughs) entire rest of this run, Tommy is absent and it sucks and it's stupid. (laughs) I'm sorry. But this is how they pull David in because now he tracks down the Young Avengers at a cafe out in space, I think. And they're like, (laughs) 
who is this guy? And he's like, so your brother's missing to Wiccan. And he's like, what? They figure everything out at the end of the run. They're celebrating. They're partying. They've saved the world. Uh, the last two issues is kind of like a prologue. Like the story's done, and it's just weird wrapping up of like plot threads with different characters, which is kind of nice because you do get a lot of individual moments with certain characters. One of them, which is the last issue, which is issue 15. Poor David this entire time is not one for parties, as we can tell he completely like said no to mm. Tommy's request to go clubbing. He spends most of his time during this party, based off of all these little short snippets, on a hill by himself. <laughs> not even near a computer or anything. I think he just doesn't feel like he fits in because he came in last minute. I don't know. So he's sitting there thinking about the conversation he just had with Loki and all of a sudden, not Patriot shows up and starts being once again uber cryptic. Gets really close to his face and you're like, what is he doing? And David just kind of looks at him like deadpan. Like, it's hard to tell but I'm pretty certain Patriot kisses David. Oh. Wait, how is that hard to tell? Because of how the panels are. I'm like, I can't tell if David moved his face in or Patriot moved his in. I don't know. They kissed. And in the middle of this kiss, all of a sudden, Patriot switches and immediately it's Tommy. And he freaks out. What? what? Yep. It's like a mystique then. Okay, <laughs> why is he kissing the guy he's been hunting? I don't know. I think, yeah, no, Patriot leaned in and kissed him. All of a sudden, Tommy shows up. It, instead, it's Tommy, and he pushes him away. And he's like, get off me. Dude, we're noodles and coffee friends, but you're moving to... He's like, wait, where'd the warehouse go? That's odd. Oh, hey, there's a party! Woo! And then just leaves. <laughs> oh. So... Oh. My guess is during this time, Patriot or whatever, like either absorbed Tommy in and no time happened. And leaving poor David alone on the hill to watch him run away. And actually has this like really pridefully like sweet face just kind of, and he says as he's walking away, even when he wasn't one, Tommy was always a superhero. And you're like, that's kind of, that's kind of sweet, but really, out of place and odd because (laughs) Tommy never did anything this entire time because the- I was guessing he was gone. Also, coffee and noodle friends, buddy. Like, David was minding his own business. He gets dragged in this whole series for some guy that he just met and then he gets pecked and then he's out. He's done? Yeah, that's my biggest gripe with this run is that they just use characters just to advance the plot. Like, there's barely any character development Uh, whatsoever. And as we've seen in a lot of series, like, even even in the original Young Avengers uh, run, Tommy comes in so last minute. Like, he could have come in earlier, but Billy was like, no, we don't need this kid. And had no idea that he was going to be important to story stuff. He... I think Speed comes in second to last issue of the original Young Avengers run and gets his name in the last issue after the whole thing ends. Like, he shows up and he's like, yeah, look at me, I'm in my costume now. Like, we're kind of all a team, right? Um, yeah, (laughs) no, team's gone. Like, team disbanded, buddy. Like, this sucks. And he also gets relegated during Children's Crusade because it's 
mostly Billy looking for Scar- uh, looking for Wanda, and Tommy's just along for the ride. I know a lot of like Tommy Shepard fans are clamoring for him to get like his own run, and he does deserve one. He's a fun mm. character. He's a very different speedster than what Marvel typically has. Most of their speedsters, like pretty much the only speedster, really is Quicksilver in Marvel, and he's an asshole. Right. I was gonna say too that the way that you describe Tommy and like just a couple of the dialogue, it reminds me a bit of Bart. He he definitely has like ADHD. No brain cell. He he can be a little. He can be a bit of a prankster, less malicious. Do you have like a lot of like lore? Because I don't know much about him ever since he was a baby. But he's barely been in anything. Like I said, he gets usually relegated to the side or completely forgotten because Wiccan's more interesting. But in the original Young Avengers run, they had to break him out of juvie. Oh, He was in juvie oh. because of his speed powers. He can vibrate his molecules so fast he can cause things to explode. He caused something to explode because, like I said, Tommy's kind of like, I would say he has a mix of like Bart with less maliciousness of his uncle Pietro being like, oh yeah, I'm going to pull pranks on people. I might trip my brother occasionally, but I'm not going to do it harmfully. He didn't mean to cause the explosion when he did. He was just having fun with his Mm -hmm. abilities. So that's when they first met. Uh, we did get a glimpse of them in uh, Lords of Empire Emperor Hulkling uh, when they take Teddy out to a uh, gay club where, it, based off the dialogue, it expresses um, Tommy and David have been dating or in some kind of relationship for a while now because <laughs> uh, Teddy says, well, you two always have exactly one and a half drinks and start making out. So they've no. been dating now. No one knows when because we haven't seen these two. I'm going to be honest. I wasn't 100% sure you didn't fabricate this nope. relationship. So that's good to I know. I will say between 2013 and 2020, this entire relationship was very much grounded in fandom. A lot of people like this ship okay. because technically Tommy didn't reject David and being like, you gross we're guys it was more like we're taking this fast buddy like if you want to do it like we can date I don't and bad writing I just put bad writing on that young image it's really <laughs> it's weird really writing. weird writing <laughs> yeah. and the plot's confusing but so yeah the two of them have been dating during the fight that ensues to get Teddy because this is happening right before Empire happens fights happening and David says to Tommy he's like Tommy behind you think and then he gets hit fast darn it <laughs> oh there it is I found there it there you go <laughs> it's where think fast comes from it's like the movies when they say the name of the movie <laughs> are you one of those guys who cheers when they say it <laughs> so I saw your reading list your recommended yeah. reading list it was very yep. creative because there's really nothing like for favorite moments because it's been next to nothing they've only actually had one full issue to themselves and everything else has been bits in other issues right so they've been predominantly gone for seven Mm -hmm. years i'm hoping with the re-emergence of them being a confirmed couple in emperor hulkling and now in x factor that there's a little more emphasis put on them like Mm -hmm. i don't need like a whole like north star wedding kind of thing or what we saw with wicked and hulkling but at least like have them there but my only favorite moments are from fandom works at this point. And unfortunately, yes, most of the, these 
I'm going to mention them, and I'm going to mention the, uh, the fanfiction authors as well, but most of the stuff, there's not much with these two. They usually follow in stories that have to do with Billy and Teddy. They're usually relegated as side relationships. Mm-hmm. They're there. Just an FYI, these are 18 plus stories, so if you are not of legal age, please do not read them. Please look at the tags before you get into this. I don't want to deal with children. Um, but... <laughs> Who's about to give out porn? The, by oh, the, I can't read no, these. They'll cover my ears. But Wave and Particles is a AU that actually has... It, most of these are AUs because no one deals in canon at this point. Specific Remeu, the latest story, actually does center around David and Tommy. And then Bad Moon Rising is another one. Uh, Waves and Particles is written by... It's Ardatli. It's A-R-D-A-T. L-I, and then Bad Moon Rising is by um, Krisha. It's K-H-I-R-S-A-H. They write some of the best stuff. Despite the fact that, yes, most of their stuff is going to be mature, there's a lot of wholesome fluff moments. Like, there are at least 20 plus chapters, (laughs) and most of it's fluff. Oh my Mm -hmm. gosh. They're like full novels, yep. And that's on AO3? And they're on AO3, yep. Or on Patreon, if you want to follow them. I did follow them for a little while on Patreon to get early access to stories, because I needed stuff. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You addict! Yep. Or Datley, she's a novelist, and she went to doctorate school for, like, creative writing, and she said Patreon helped kind of support some of her being able to write and get her novel published, and I was like, that's good! (laughs) That's wonderful, wow. See that, Marvel? We're going to have to start supporting independent creators if you don't start stepping up. That's awesome. But once again, warning, these these are not for children. Yay. Use with the dirty stuff. I'm sorry. It's hard to find anything that's, like, teen or lower that's not, like, written by, like, a 10-year-old. Artilati actually has a really cute, fluffy, Wiccan and Hulkling modern AU of them becoming a couple through Pokemon Go. There you go. Yep. <laughs> One non-porn. Yep. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to roast I'm you, but trash. I think it's adorable that you are supporting independent creators. Oh, I, I think yeah. that's really sweet. <laughs> well, wonderful. I love it. Now, since I'm terrible at transitions, I'm just going to get right into it. Um, I have the most mainstream couple probably of all, and that is <laughs> the amazing... Rogue and Gambit. What's the scoffing for? You know I'm right. I would have said the astonishing. They're in all or kinds. Or the of... uncanny. Oh my. Or the marvelous. Or the ultimate. Oh, never the ultimate. Forget oh. about that. Sorry, yeah. I don't know Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> just take the ultimate and you just put it in the nearest recycling bin because you like to recycle. <laughs> yeah, Gambit and Rogue have always had a really cool relationship. I love them. I've liked them since the X-Men TV show. Oh, back in the 90s. Oh my gosh. It's this really sweet, like, fairy tale romance where it's like, they're both extremely passionate and loving and caring people who wear their hearts on their sleeve. So you'd think they would have, like, this fiery romance, but the fact that they can't touch makes it even more, like, intense and... I don't know, it's sort of like this doomed romance that they just absolutely will not leave alone. But they're so sweet at the same time. It's so sweet. Like, there are so many conversations where Rogue would just start crying because she 
really, really wants to touch him, and he's just like, nope, you know what, we can find ways to love each other that aren't physical. Like, we can make this a romance that can last a lifetime just because we love each other. And you wouldn't think it because he cu- he's such an astonishing flirt. I think I called him Pepe Le Pew today. <laughs> you did. <laughs> yeah. He's just... <laughs> He's just a dork with how much he flirts. And so you'd think he would be one of those, like, casual relationship kind of guys, you know? The one who has, like, a revolving door Mm -hmm. of women. But instead, he's just this very faithful, passionate person who was married before Rogue. Just a quick rundown if you don't know these characters. That's me. Okay, cool. So (laughs) (laughs) Remy's from New Orleans. Uh, He's from a very weird cult. Uh, (laughs) He grew up in the Thieves' Guild, and he married a woman from the Assassin's Guild. And so he has this dark history with them and this immortal, and he's tied to them. Of course, that's not how he appeared. When he first appeared, it was in The Uncanny X-Men 266. So Gambit breaks into a house where Storm is being held captive by the Shadow King and his hounds, and he uh, takes it upon himself to rescue her. As soon as he's introduced to the X-Men as like a candidate to join their crew, he immediately goes around and starts flirting with all the women, including <laughs> Storm. But like I said, he was introduced all the way in um, Uncanny X-Men 266. Uh, Rogue was introduced much sooner. Rogue's first appearance was Avengers Annual number 10. She's just a messy past, okay? Yeah. She was a villain. <laughs> I'll just say she was born in Mississippi. That's where her accent comes from. She was also born in kind of a a commune, hippie commune thing. Oh, boy. Her mom went missing. Her dad fell apart. She was raised by her aunt. Her aunt was super strict, so she ran away. That's where she got the nickname Rogue. She gets picked up by Mystique in disguise um, and Destiny, and they adopt her. She kisses Cody, which is kind of a linchpin in her story. He's just a normal boy. Her powers, which involve absorbing people's psyche and their powers, comes into play, and she basically absorbs this boy's consciousness, putting him into a coma. Oh. Yeah. It traumatizes her. She won't touch anybody anymore. She puts on, like, lots of clothes so it doesn't happen by accident. And that was her first kiss, wasn't it? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I remember this, but from the movie. Yeah, they do follow that pretty much to a T in the X-Men movie. Mm. It's her Uncle Ben. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Cody doesn't end up great either. He eventually will get killed by Belladonna as a revenge for Rogue stealing Mm. uh, Remy. So, our girl Rogue, she continues to be a menace, basically gets used by the Brotherhood of Evil and Mystique as a henchman for a long time. She sort of gains some notoriety, when she sneak attacks uh, Miss Marvel, our girl Carol Danvers, and she absorbs so much of her psyche oh, no. that she has a second personality inside of her trying to take over, which is basically Carol's. So Carol's soul, or her intellect, her personhood, let's say her soul, gets split in two, basically. Half of it in her body, basically cutting down her own power, but she's already OP because she's part Cree. And then part of her is in um, Rogue. So Rogue is dealing with all of that, but she also got Carol's power. So now she's super strong. She can fly. It's awesome. And she's so great. And she 
continues to be a menace to the X-Men, to various groups of people. Let's just say she joins the X-Men. Uh, nobody wants her there. Finally, Xavier convinces them all with a rousing speech about no mutant left behind. And they reluctantly bring her into the fold. Everyone goes to Tokyo to see Wolverine get married. Rogue goes, and Wolverine is not happy because he's buddies with Carol, and Carol's suffering. She saves his fiance. She saves other people. Eventually, they realize, you know what? She'll sacrifice herself for any one of us. She's a bro and a pal. Thanks to Magneto, she does get like the Carol Danvers personality out of her head. I don't really understand it myself. It's fine. None of this is relevant to the story that I'm bringing up. I'm just trying to give some backstory for how much happened before these two actually get together. So they've had a lot of history alone, like rich history behind each character. Mm. But when they do actually meet, it's in um, a Chris Claremont story, uh, art done by Jim Lee in X-Men number one. Oh, okay. Yeah. They start dating like in X-Men number four. It's all downhill from there, folks. It's the constant back and forth (laughs) that happens in these superhero teams. You know, they make up, they break up, they cry, they laugh, they fight people together, they fight each other. They have a really, like, hot-headed sort of courtship. And then, you know, you get retconned and you start all over again. (laughs) I started reading it in earnest in X-Men Gold number 30. It was written by Guggenheim and drawn by our boy David Marquez. And let me tell you, X-Men Gold 30, and it came out in 2017, right? So this all comes out in, like, everything I'm going to tell you happened in, like, a few years' time. So, 2017, X-Men Gold 30 comes out. It was really hyped. It was a lot like the Batman wedding. Mm -hmm. Everyone's like, Kitty Mm -hmm. and Colossus finally getting together. It's been so long. This is so wonderful. They deserve each other. We love them. It gets this great story treatment, beautifully written. It's beautifully drawn. It's just a really good book. Like, definitely read it if you haven't. It's lovely. Very confusing because some big event just happened and there are doubles whatever (laughs) there's like two beasts hanging out there's like three jean grays it's it's messy (laughs) but that art though oh my gosh the art is so pretty and the way it's colored is gorgeous to sum it up iliana kind of ruins everything she's kitty's best friend she psychs her out right before the wedding kitty freaks out and goes oh my gosh we're not meant to be together she flees the altar by sinking through the floor uh very dramatic and kitty like uh nightcrawler's the best man colossus asks him to spirit him away from there everybody's like wow this is uh it's a weird wedding kind of a bummer let's all eat so they eat the food and the wedding cake and they just have their own reception without the bride or groom it's really sad, too, because the buildup was very sweet. You know, everyone talking about their past and how far they've come and how much they love each other. Eventually, don't worry, Colossus and Kitty find each other again, and they talk about it, and they're like, maybe we'll get together, who knows? The writers clearly don't want us together, so we can't really give a good reason why. <laughs> like, it sounded like I was clearly, like, rooting for them. Because he gave a lot of reasons for them to be together and not really any for them not to be together. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of sad. 
I blame the head people in charge oh, of Oh, me too. Holy cow. And the, the outrage people felt about this betrayal. Yeah. Well, not as much as the Bat-Cat wedding, which was going on at exactly well, no. the same time, which I think is another reason why Marvel did this, was maybe to compete with the huge uh, Batman and Catwoman wedding that was coming up. That's what they the were accused time. of, I remember. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It was... Okay, for all of that, which was... <laughs> It's just so Marvel. They psych us up for, like, one thing, and they gave us something completely different, but they're like, it's better this way. Aurora gives this weird talk to Remy. Remy's like, this is terrible that this happened. Storm is like, eh, you know, it might be for the best. Romance is great, but uh, marriage is more than just loving each other. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm expecting someone to say, it takes hard work, and... A commitment. She goes, no, you need, like, passion and a need, a driving urge to just, <laughs> just, like, storm. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sounds like you're describing a one-night stand and a bad choice. And she's like, you have to, like, need to see that person so badly that you would rather die than go one more day without seeing them or being with them. And Remy's just like, oh, my gosh, is that love? He looks over at Rogue and is like, I'm going to marry her right now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> he, he goes over, he gets down on one knee. He's like, I don't want to live another day not married to you. Of course, everyone has the, is this appropriate? And they're like, <laughs> everything's here. If Kitty's not going to use it, we're just going to use it. So uh, the money doesn't go to waste. And they're like, are you going to take their honeymoon too? And he's like, please. I have, like, three different honeymoons ready to go on any occasion. (laughs) (laughs) It's me, Remy. I am a romantic. What do you want? I'm not going to shell out for a a wedding. Those are expensive, but a honeymoon, yeah, we'll do that. So, whatever, they get married. It's all played off. It's very romantic. So, I did this out of order, I think. But Rogue and Gambit was kind of happening around the same time. It was referenced repeatedly in that comic, which should have been a red flag for me, but I read it after the fact. But you should definitely read Rogue and Gambit first by Kelly Thompson. Uh, The artist was Pere Perez. I didn't like the art. It was pretty bad. Sorry. I shouldn't have called him out, like, focused on him if I was going to diss his art, but that's how it goes. So, Kelly Thompson, I kind of loved it. It's quirky. It's fun. Uh, It starts off Rogue and Gambit, you know, they weren't really on the closest of terms because even though they absolutely love each other she's still afraid of touching him because she's worried about hurting him so she's trying to put distance between them and he is being super clingy so then kitty calls her to the office and is like hey guess what um we've gotten sort of distress calls about this island that provides therapy for traumatized mutants (laughs) And Don't tell me it's heroes in crisis. No. <laughs> no. So it's like a resort. She's like, it's a therapy resort. And they are saying, oh, if you're a traumatized mutant, you should come here and we'll help you out. And Rogue is like, wow, that is 100% a trap. Like, that doesn't sound realistic at all just proving that if Rogue was anywhere near Heroes in Crisis, this whole thing would not have happened. (laughs) But she's like, okay, well, I'll go check it out, see if anyone needs saving. 
And Kitty's like, oh, this is the bad part. I'm so sorry I have to tell you this. Okay, so I need a couple to go. It's like a couple's therapy thing. And she's oh, like, God. absolutely not. <laughs> and she's like, so I need you to go with Gambit. And she's like, nope, it's not happening. We're, we're on the outs. And she's like, oh, no, 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 that'll sell it. Because you two clearly need therapy. <laughs> and she's like, then you go with Colossus. And she's like, well, see, here's the thing. I'm the leader. And the privilege of being the leader is not assigning <laughs> myself to jobs that suck. <laughs> so you're going to go. And she's like, Remy's not going to agree to it. And she's like, you want to bet? And she's, uh, she's like, I'll put money down. And like smash cut to them on the plane. And Remy's just like grinning ear to ear. <laughs> and she's like, how was I supposed to know you already had agreed? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Kelly Thompson is a really great writer. That's she is seriously. one of my favorites from Marvel as of right now. I always get her confused with Kelly Sue DeConnick, which is totally unfair. Because Completely. I know. <laughs> because everyone raves about Kelly Thompson. I don't know. She's just... This whole thing was really fun, obviously. I won't spoil how it ends, but there is a point where Rogue does absorb all of the abilities of a bunch of mutants. Oh, no. And she looks like some insane angel character with, like, rainbow wings, and oh, it's gosh. it gets crazy. But she's amazing, and, of course, when she absorbs too much, it's a lot for her to deal with. And so she's, like, starting to, like, buckle under it, and, of course, Remy's there with... And he's like, I'm gonna be with you every step of the way through the whole thing. And he's always taking care of her, and it's so sweet. So that whole thing was just freaking adorable. I loved it to pieces. We get through that. Then you can read X-Men Gold. Then right <laughs> after that, they're on their honeymoon in Mr. and Mrs. X. And they are staying at none other than Carol Danvers' uh, spaceship that she and Alpha Flight were using. But I guess let them stay in. Which just shows how far she's come to get Carol Danvers' to forgive her and be a friend. <laughs> yep. Oh, and I should also mention, uh, at the end of Rogue and Gambit, it is revealed that Gambit is a father of three, and oh. Rogue needs to be okay with that. Yeah, he has three cats. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I might be out of order. Don't come for me, but you can definitely correct me online for any discrepancies. I tend to remember things badly. I should not be on this podcast, but people keep bringing me back. Okay. Notes, notes. <laughs> My notes are a jumble. They're all out of that, order. I can't help you there. I also can't help you because I can't fact check you. I don't know Marvel. That's what I'm banking on. And Fantastic. I, and I can't fact check you because I've never read these, so... <laughs> <laughs> so you are on your own I can tell us. you anything. I, I think the reason I like Gambit and Rogue is because it just, it does feel like a fairy tale, you know? Mm -hmm. Everlasting love, selflessness, just like absolute passion that comes from being denied something that you take for granted, but just persevering anyways. I don't know, I've always thought they were sweet together. So, right after the wedding, we are forced to endure their honeymoon issue. And I gotta say, Mr. and Mrs. X might start off like a little rough for me but it was also written by kelly thompson uh, this one ran from like 2018 to 2019 the artist changed hands 
the only two I managed to grab were Oscar Bazaldua and Javier Pina. The art isn't great for either of them, so don't remember their names. Um, but the writing, once again, it's silly, it's chaotic. Right off the bat, they're given an assignment. They're completely naked. It is a honeymoon. They answer a video chat, though, wearing nothing but sheets. Yep. And Gambit gets so annoyed that they're being asked to do something on their honeymoon, he just drops the sheet in front of <laughs> Kitty, who's just, like, covering her eyes yeah. like a child who walked in on her parents. <laughs> <laughs> I do have a question, though. I, I get it's a honeymoon, but I thought Rogue can't touch. So Rogue has a device that they kind of put on mutant criminals oh. to dampen their powers. Metahuman collar. Yeah, so okay. she gets a okay. collar. It looks like a prison collar. I was reading it and I was asking out loud, why doesn't this look like a piece of jewelry if she has it? The reason is because Beast provided it, and he said, uh, mutants don't try to make things like this pretty. It's like, oh, uh, we can't fit the tech into a more compressed, flashy design. No, he's you just could, being a lazy though. You scientist. could make, like, yeah, he's just being a, a whiner. <laughs> like, you could, like, make a sort of Egyptian collar out of it mm. or something cool, like, clunky, but still cool looking. But instead, it does look like... Okay a prison collar mm -hmm. and she won't take it off because she doesn't want to stop touching him she's like i can take another hour of this even though it like gives her headaches she's just popping aspirin she's like let's go so there's just a lot of nudity not like real nudity they're covered in sheets but implied nudity and a lot of sex so you're just kind of enduring that for a little bit until the plot catches up and they have to go deliver an item it's an egg but they're not told it's an egg and <laughs> there's a whole bunch of bad guys. Assortments of teams show up to fight them. Deadpool shows up. Um, <laughs> Rogue absorbs someone's power, gets shoved out. The airlock ends up in space. Uh, Deadpool saves her. Then he makes a ton of dick jokes. Well, not like about Remy's dick. Some of them are. But most of them are just him being a dick. Mm -hmm. So... Poor Gambit has to endure that. They kill Deadpool once or twice, you know. As you do. Just for funsies. As you do, because Deadpool wants the egg. Everyone wants the egg. Basically, they're playing football with it from several different angles until the egg spawns a roguelike clone. Oh. We learn it is the love child of the Empress of the Shi'ar Empire. I forget her name. The one who had a crazy affair with Xavier. This is the daughter of Xavier, so the X-Men are trying to protect her. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> a lot goes on. It's It gets incredibly insane. They go on adventures. They end up <laughs> back in New Orleans, facing off against Belladonna, against um, Calda, or whatever the name is of that immortal, who is now a child. Probably got killed off and regrown yeah. as a human. But she wants her full powers back, so she needs a sacrifice. But she gets thwarted by Remy, so now she's going to make him choose to kill either Rogue or his ex-wife, who he still loves. So it's a whole thing. Things come to a head. I guess it's not spoiling anything since it's 2018, but <laughs> suffice it to say Rogue is not dead. And they are still married. Mm -hmm. And they kind of disappeared after Excalibur, right, Muse? They're still in Excalibur right now. 
Right. Krakoa. Krakoa stuff. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I will say there's a really cute moment in Excalibur. Um, I kind of feel bad for Remy, but Apocalypse is a dick and tricks them, and she kind of pulls a sleep, uh, more like a Snow White, and she, like, super absorbs something and gets knocked out Mm -hmm. and gets put into very similarly, like, a Snow White-ish glass coffin, and Remy's, like, threatening Apocalypse and being like, what did you do to my wife? get her out of that and apocalypse was like nope she's doing her job and he's like what do you mean she's doing her job it's killing (laughs) her and and then the rest of the team is like maybe let's listen to what apocalypse is talking about and remy's just like death glaring everyone (laughs) yeah plus this was like the beginning issues of like all the new x titles so Mm -hmm. like heroes and villain mutants are like working together for the first time because one of the rules was you couldn't fight each other anymore nope and then she wakes up and everything's fine Mm -hmm. i haven't really had any coupling moments in it because there's so many other people on the team well i definitely recommend reading um any of kelly thompson's versions of rogan gambit there are some really cute ones from back in the day Mm. in varying levels of art (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> people are all across the board there's some really cute moments I can't pick a favorite honestly I do kind of like the beginning of Rogue and Gambit when they're basically doing a, a training exercise with uh, sentinels oh, like God. it's back right. in the day Yeah, they're in the danger room doing sentinel training Remy walks in and he's like Storm what on earth this, this is ancient. What, do you, what are we doing training against Sentinels? He makes some quips about, like, what are we children? I think we're a little past that. And she goes, Rogue's in there. And he just zips out. He's like, let me in! <laughs> so he, he wants to go fight the Sentinels with Rogue. He's and like a puppy. He really is. All these girls are in there. I can't even remember all of them. I definitely remember Pixie and Psylocke. So they're fighting off these Sentinels, and Remy makes some jokes. Rogues gets completely distracted and gets stomped on by a Sentinel. He immediately freaks out, runs to her, no, Rogue! And Psylocke's like, geez, like, she can take it. And then she, like, just blows them all up with her telepath powers or whatever. And he's, like, bending over her so their faces are almost touching, and he's just going at it with his Pepe Le Pew speech and Pixie is like ready to get popcorn. She is into it. She's like, this is hot. <laughs> I love Pixie. And like, one of the others is like, are they dating? Were they dating? And she's like, I hope they are if he's going to keep talking like this. Oh, it's they're like, get this girl out of here. This is too much PDA for the danger room. And he's like, you hear that? We're hot. She's like, fuck off. I love how we all have very different couples. I'm pretty basic when it comes to, like, my faves. Not like you, Muse. You're very adventurous. Jump on the the underappreciated. I appreciate that about you. (laughs) So, (laughs) Joe, would you like to read out the comics that are coming out next week? Sure. So, for the DC comics coming out on the 17th, we have the Black Label Batman Catwoman number 3. Written by Tom King. I didn't hear anything. Did you hear anything? No. no continue. <laughs> <laughs> you have Future State Catwoman number two, 
which is going to be great. I really am super excited for this. I tried pre-ordering like the first issue of this Future State one from our comic shop, but it was just sold out everywhere. Not even like Midtown Comics, like they have it wish listed. You can't pr- uh, uh, buy back or anything like that. You might have to get nice. a second printing. Yeah. Then we have Future State, the Immortal Wonder Woman number two. Future State, the next Batman number four. Future State Nightwing number two. Future State Shazam number two. Future State Superman Worlds of War number two. That's the the Gladiator one. Mm-hmm. Mad Magazine number 18, which I did not know was owned by DC Comics. And then Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? number 108. And then the first digital issue of the new um, Vixen run, I believe, called Truth and Justice. What? I thought it was already coming out in digital. It might be the printed version now. Yeah, because just like they did with um, Batman the Animated, or Adventures Continues. Oh. Like it started off digital and now it's being printed. Yeah, it might be the same thing, yeah. Yeah. Been, so you've been reading Truth and Justice. How no, is it? No, I haven't been reading it. Um, when I be, when I do the update lists, I kind of notice oh. that the covers, quote unquote, the covers for right. Super Sons, that Wonder Woman title, and Truth and Justice don't look like standard right. comic book covers. And I was just assuming because they were also coming out like pretty much almost weekly. I was assuming they were probably coming out digitally first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. The uh, Truth and Justice, Challenge of Super Sons, and Sensational Wonder Woman started off as digital. Yep. And we are now going to be getting a digital Legends of the Dark Knight series coming Ooh. out soon. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Amuse, any new Marvel comics? So, for Marvel, we have Black Widow number five, Cable number eight, Captain America number 27, Champions number 4, Guardians of the Galaxy number 11, The Immortal Hulk Flatline number 1. That is a one-shot, apparently. Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number 2, Iron Man number 6, King in Black number 4. Is this the last King in Black issue? No, I think there's another uh, two or three issues. I can't remember if it's five or seven. I'm like, usually they either end at four or they end at about six for the mainline right? ones. Right? Yeah. So I, was, I wasn't I was certain. Um, we have mm-hmm. King in Black, Planet of the Symbiotes, number two, Marauders, number 18, Marvel, number five, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, number 23, MODOK Head Games, number three. I had no idea MODOK had his own series. Good yeah, I, I think it is, like, a build-up to that Hulu TV show starring Patton Oswalt that they released during the comic convention. What? I put this in the news, like, a couple months ago, and then uh, oh, they had, like, a whole exclusive the thing. The animation style is similar to Robot Chicken. Okay. Mm. That would probably be why. But I think this is, like, a build-up to that. Maybe. Hmm. Um, we have Savage Avengers, number 18, Spider-Woman, number 9, and Thor, number 12, and X-Men Legends, number 1. That's a whole new uh, series thing that they're coming out with. That's going to be written by a bunch of different uh, writers. Oh? Is it going to be a different writer for each book? I believe so. Okay. So this first issue is going to be written by uh, Fabian Nicesia, and the art is from Brett Booth. I love Brett Booth. Brett Booth is great. And it's uh, apparently starring Cyclops and Havoc. 
<laughs> okay. I do like Havoc. It's not a Cyclops. They're, they're brothers, right? Mm-hmm. Cyclops okay. and Havoc are brothers. Cyclops, yeah, Havoc, I never liked and... Them Shoot, I forget their brother. He got all manipulated by the Shi'ar, I know. He's like the older one. Hmm. He's got some mental issues. Oh, he's like the, the space Vulcan. pirate, right? That was it. There we go. Vulcan. Yep. Yeah, that is a tangled web. Uh, poor Vulcan sure. just needs uh, some immense amount of therapy. Well, the fact that there are going to be Shi'ar returning to Earth so means that... I uh, think it's them uncovered. He's probably going to show. He's probably going to have Vulcan in it. Yep, it's just going to be the, the Summers brothers. <laughs> All right, great. Coming at the end of this winter. <laughs> <laughs> Should have saved it for after spring, but all right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> I can make like five more summer puns right now. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Court of Alex podcast. I hope you guys have an amazing Valentine's weekend. Happy um, Singles Awareness Day! <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Listen, you can buy chocolates for friends, you can buy chocolate for yourself. You can write letters to people that you know don't have any friends. My cat is <laughs> Just rub it in their face. Just wait <laughs> until the day after Valentine's Day so you can get all those sweet discounts at all the stores. Yeah. You could do that too. Or you could home make chocolate. The internet is free. Anyways, <laughs> it's, it's a great time. Just have a wonderful Valentine's Day that is an order. You are not allowed to feel sorry for yourself. Or for anyone around you, you are supposed to be happy and kind to someone. Even if it's a stranger, just be loving. It's the only thing you have to do this weekend. And you also have to follow us (laughs) on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and YouTube at Court of Outlets. See, you like that segue? I did. Yeah. Um, Let us know which comic you want us to cover next week. And make sure to stay up to date with our latest episodes. And be our Valentine by subscribing to the podcast on Anchor, Apple, Google, Spotify, and anywhere else you may listen to your podcast. Take care, guys. Bye.